Thanks, guys. Awesome to be serving with you this morning. Yeah, I've had a, a dry throat the last couple of days, and I thought, this is just 2020 to a T, isn't it? You know? Uh, got, a, got a preach last time this year, and, yep, messages coming together, and then the body starts to fall apart. Just a couple of days before, you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? But, you know, Catherine said to me last night, but, you know, 2020's taught us a few things, hasn't it? Because we didn't panic. I thought to myself, if I can't be here tomorrow, if I cannot literally physically deliver a sermon, I'm going to see if I can get through one take of it on video the night before. And you could have been watching me on a screen. And that wouldn't be so unusual, would it? <laughs> We've learned a few things. But did you see the sort of headlines and, and things on social media jumping around maybe, maybe a month or so ago, maybe two months, saying, can we just call 2020 now? Did you see that? It's like, are we done? Like 10 months out of 12, that's pretty good. Is it over? Please, can it stop? Our society feels like it's been under a bit of pressure. And much has been made in a good way of, of the way that Aotearoa New Zealand has responded to the pandemic. Lots of things have gone pretty well, but I think things are fraying a bit here and there. On March the 24th, the day after the government announced a national lockdown, there were 645 reports of domestic violence to police. And that is the kind of level that would normally only be seen around the New Year's Day kind of, kind of time. But you know, the violence and the tension isn't just something that's out there and that's hidden away in, in a few isolated pockets of society. Last Sunday, Catherine and I were in Auckland and we were catching a, a taxi back to the airport and I was having a chat with the driver, as I want to do. And uh, he'd been driving a taxi for 35 years. And his name was Govind. And I said, Govind, what's your take on, on New Zealand today? Just how do you see it? How do you think things are going? And he said, I feel like it's a lot more aggressive. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? Tell me a bit about that. And he said, well, just when I feel like I'm walking down the street, I feel like people will, might jostle you if they can or maybe they don't get out of your way. Or he said, when I'm on the roads, you know, when traffic's busy and it's hard to get in, you know, in normal times perhaps somebody will leave a gap for you and you'll be able to get in and they'll give you a wave. He said, now the gap's closed and you're more as likely as not to get the finger. And my wife Catherine at the moment is working for the Wellington Council and it is a routine occurrence for her to come home and say, uh, one of our council staff was assaulted today. And sometimes it's a parking warden, and sometimes it's someone at a swimming pool, and sometimes it's even a librarian being assaulted by an ordinary member of the public. I think our society is under pressure, and I'm interested in what this reveals about us, and where we are, and where we place our hope. That's what I want to look at this morning. You know, 2,000 years ago, Roman Judea was a place under pressure, too. The place had been ravaged by war on and off, you know, maybe a couple of generations of moderate peace, but for the last three decades or so, they'd been under the rule of a, main, a man named Herod. Herod the Great was his title, and he was a cruel man, he was manipulative, he was, he'd just do absolutely anything to keep himself on the top of the political, you know, spectrum, to stay in power. He wasn't beyond killing off family members, it was an oppressive place to be. He spread uh, Greek culture in a place that was fundamentally Jewish. Uh, he was a, a Roman puppet. The, the way the tax system worked in that time 
was the tax collectors got paid out of what they collected over and above the tax rate. And so that system was prone to abuse. And so that place, that society, was a place under pressure as well. It was under great tension. And the, the, the priesthood, they just exacerbated it. They were politicised and they were power hungry. If, they, if, if you couldn't have a Jewish king, well then the, 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 the religious authorities were kind of the next best thing you could have and so that had become a very political kind of role and they did nothing to ease the burden of the people. So the land was tense. It was heavy with resentment. But God had a rescue plan. And we're going to pick this up in Matthew and uh, read with me if you like. The, the words are going to be on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So into hope, right? At the most unexpected time, when everything is, you know, like a powder keg, where there's a lot of tension, into hope. God saw, and he didn't just see the problems in Judea, he saw the problems of all of humanity. And he sent his one and only son into the world. God himself became a human being. You want to use the word inconceivable, but he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. Unbelievable. But it sounds a bit like a 2020 Christmas, doesn't it? Because God is fulfilling his plan, the plan he has before time begins, that something that's been prophesied hundreds of years in advance, and Mary gets pregnant and Joseph goes, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe I'll divorce her quietly. It's not the kind of ideal kind of story in that regard. Hang on, there's a hiccup, there's a bump in the road, right? But God doesn't give it up. He speaks to Joseph through an angel in a dream. He reveals the plan. He says, don't be afraid. And he reveals this beautiful thing. He says, this child is going to be called Emmanuel, that's going to be one of his titles, meaning God with us. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Jesus is born and they call him Jesus, which means deliverer or rescuer. And this is our great hope. This, this was just a shattering moment in history. God became a man. A living, breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking man. A human being, flesh and blood, just like us. And he came as a man, but he revealed himself to be God, fully God. And he did that most dramatically. I mean, he performed all these miracles while he was walking around with ordinary people. But then finally he laid down his life on a cross. 
and he gave his body as a payment for all of the evil things that you and I have done to reconcile us to God. And then he demonstrated with power that he was in very nature God by rising from the dead again three days later. And so he was fully human and fully God. Who could have imagined? And the cool thing I want us to focus on a bit more today is this idea of God with us. God with us. Because, you see, through his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus set up this new relationship where God is with us. And as a life group, uh, we were studying uh, a passage in in John chapter 16 this week off the back of last week's sermon. And and I was struck by a, a few lines in here. I want to read this to you. So this is a classic God with us moment. Jesus is with his disciples and they are having a meal. This is the meal we know as the Last Supper. We've been studying it for months. There's some awesome sermons on the website if you've missed them. But here's a moment that we come to. Jesus speaks to his disciples this way. He says, Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Now on the surface of it, if you just look at that last line, it looks like it's God was with us because he's leaving the world and he's going to the Father. But do you see he's going to speak to them again? He says, the time is coming when I'm going to speak to you more plainly about the Father. This is just before the cross. He's going to speak to them after the cross, after he has risen from the dead. He's going to spend 40 days with his disciples. And he says, in that day, you will ask in my name. This is the bit I got excited about. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What he's saying is to a group of people who have always known, have always been taught that there is someone who has to stand between you and God. You need a priest, you need a a mediator, you need someone between you. He's saying, he takes pains to say, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, you will be able to go straight to the Father. Do you pick that up? You will ask in my name. God with us. He broke the old way of things through his body on a cross so that you can ask in his name. Now, of course, he is the great mediator. He has bridged the gap. But what he's saying, listen, it's beautiful. Why? How is all of this possible? No, you can go straight to the Father because the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It's all there. It's right there. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you say, God, your will be done, Jesus, would you be my saviour? If you accept him as your Lord, then you are loved by the Father. And he says, come on in. And God with us will be a reality. Jesus says, this is the new deal. You see, God with us doesn't just describe an isolated moment when Jesus was with his disciples. Because you know, there's another cool thing that Jesus said. He said that even though he was returning to the Father, that was a good thing because he would be able to send someone else, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
And when he says, I will come to you, he's meaning I will send the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit is such a perfect representation of Christ as a member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus can say, when I send the Spirit, I will come to you. Do you know Jesus is alive in you if you have accepted him as your Lord? God is with you. God is still with you. He never left. God is with us. And so the message I have for us this morning is, here's what I'm checking myself on, right? It's been a bumpy year. Pandemic, lockdowns, in and out, can't do some of the things you like to do, get a bit ratty sometimes. My patience wears a bit thin. And God is saying to me, where have you placed your hope? And as you look ahead to Christmas, are you, just, are you looking forward to a break? And are you looking forward to hopefully, Lord willing, 2020 is some, 2021 is some kind of reset on 2020? Uh, you know, maybe there's some rule in our mind. Once it's New Year, it's a new thing. <laughs> it's all changed. It's done. We've drawn a line under it, right? It's very tempting. I hold some of those thoughts. I've got to be honest with you. Am I looking forward to that? Yes. But there is so much more. What am I looking forward to? It's good to look forward to Christmas, but don't just look forward to Christmas. Don't just hope that Christmas is coming. Place your hope in the reality that Christmas has already come. We've just been working our way through a season, uh, through a series of messages called Uncommon. I think that was such an inspired title because it's about how we're not to be like the world, how, we, how we're to be different. And we have this uncommon hope. And, you know, we get rattled and we get shaken a bit by things around us, just like everybody else. But fundamentally, it ought to be different for a believer in Jesus Christ. And wh what I'm saying is, as I look in myself and I look in my responses to this moment, I see an opportunity for change. And I see that God is saying, hey, you know, I think you've held on too much to your normal, to what you had, and you're, you're just wanting that to come back when he is saying there's something much more powerful, something much more important, there is a bedrock to you, to your identity, to who you are, to what I have done, and I am with you. Will you live for him today? You know, earthly hope, when it's placed on an expectation of a certain way that life should go, is fragile, because life doesn't go the way we expect it to go whether it's a big thing or a small thing, whether it's a global thing or a thing in our own lives, life happens. And if our hope is based on an expectation that's unrealistic, that hope is going to be shaken far too easily. But if our hope is a biblical hope, if our hope is in Christ himself and what he has done for us, and that he will never leave us or forsake us, that hope is secure. That's a great thing. So here's the question. How do we take hold of this hope in the weeks ahead? How do we take hold of it today? Well, let's re rewind on the Christmas story a bit. Excuse me. I want to go back to just the moment before Joseph is in the picture, before he knows what's going on. Uh, we're just going to get things ready for his big surprise, right? We're going to go to the moment that the good news first comes to Mary. Uh, this is from the Gospel of Luke. So this is from chapter 1. And it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary, not unreasonably, said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's hard to imagine what that might have been like for Mary. She's unsettled by the angel's greeting. I, I'm yet, I don't yet know what unsettled her about the words itself. I can understand she was freaked out by the angel. It's like, whoa, angel, <laughs> you know? Um, but, I, you know, anyway, what we can see there is, is, is you know, dramatic moment, right? And, and, and Mary has a question. She says, uh, how will this be? How's it going to happen? But, you know, Mary's story is often contrasted wonderfully with the story of Zechariah, who's the husband of Elizabeth. And Zechariah also earlier has had an encounter with an angel, and the angel has said, hey, even though you guys are really old, you're going to have a, have a boy, you're going to have a son. And, and Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? And it's a different question. He wants to be certain. He's, not, he's doubting. Mary's question is not a doubting question. She believes. She's, how will it be? How's it going to happen? That's what I want to understand. And there's a big, big difference. See, the point here is that biblical hope, taking hold of that hope, begins with taking God at his word. It begins with belief. And I, I, I love that what Jamie said earlier in our prayer time and on the stage. He said, what's the choice to rejoice? <laughs> like, I've been thinking a lot about belief as a choice. So this is not just intellectual assent. It is intellectual ascent, but it's more. And it's not just an emotional connection or where we orient our hearts. It is that, but it's more. It's, you know, the Lord said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's emotional, it's rational, it's deliberate, it's willful. It is an exercise of the will. It is you giving yourself wholly to God. And it begins with taking him at his word believing in him. And Mary has these wonderful words after her. One question is answered. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that cool? Where could we be saying that in our lives today? When things get shaken up, can we just say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word? Now let's look at the fruit of this, the fruit of this belief. So, I, and I love this verse too. At that time, so the, the angel Gabriel has visited. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I just love the imagery of that. Just She's running off to the hills, right? 
and, and she greets Elizabeth, who's her relative. When Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And this sets Mary off. So Elizabeth's like, whoa, what is going on? And then Mary hears this declaration by the Spirit, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Can you imagine these two women in the hill country of Judea just like, whoa, they are choosing to rejoice, right? It's just amazing. In this land filled with oppression, they have grasped this profound hope, and the key to that is belief. You know, Elizabeth affirms it beautifully. She says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. If you believe, you'll be blessed. Orient yourself on God. You know, today I want to give us an opportunity to respond to that afresh. I wonder, maybe, maybe like, like me, you, you... Look, I was just driving to the supermarket yesterday and, and somebody did something stupid in a car <laughs> and it wasn't even that stupid and I found myself frustrated and I was like, what is going on with you, Aiden? <laughs> right? Why are you impatient at that? What a stupid thing. Where is your hope today? Where is the foundation of your life? You know, how are you living? Are you walking with the Lord every day? Are you setting your heart on Him? It comes out in the smallest of things, and if it comes out in the smallest of things, it'll come out in the biggest of things, I guarantee it. And so, here are the facts. We live in a broken world. There's physical disease and there's spiritual disease. We don't do the things we ought to do. We all do wicked things. And those things have separated us from God. That's what we mean when we say, in fact, well, we don't mean all of that, but we use the saying, don't we, nobody's perfect. And we don't just mean that people make mistakes, we mean we have moral failings. We do things that are wrong, that are objectively evil. That's uncontroversial. And because of that, we are under the the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And if we are not reconciled to him, we will go to a place of punishment called hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to be born as a a little baby, to be flesh and blood, to walk with us, to say, hey, I've got a different plan for you. I've got a different way for you. Won't you come and be reconciled to the Father? Won't you turn your heart back to me? And he laid down his life on a cross and he paid 
for every evil we have ever done so that if you believe in him, you will not perish. You will not go to hell. Instead, you will have everlasting life. And you will have, Jesus said, what is eternal life? That they may know Jesus Christ, that you may have a relationship with God. God with us can be a reality for you today, right now. Can I invite us to bow our heads? If you have never put your trust in him, if you've never chosen to believe in him in the way I said before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, to say, this is the moment where I am choosing to believe in Jesus, to set my whole life on him, to call him Lord. Then I just invite you to pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinful person. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name, amen.